Section 32 of The Jolly Parisiennes and Other Novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Fast by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. When the vicar ascended the pulpit, with his ample surplice of angelic whiteness, the little baronne was devoutly seated in her accustomed place, near the heater register, before the chapelle de Saint-Ange. After the usual period of thoughtful silence devoted to the contemplation of heavenly things, the vicar daintily passed a fine cambric handkerchief across his lips. Then he opened his arms, like a seraph about to fly away bowed his head and spoke. His voice was at first, in the vast nave, as a distant murmur of flowing water, as a languishing lament of the wind amid the foliage. And little by little the murmur swelled, the breeze became a hurricane, the voice rolled beneath the vaulted roof with majestic thunder peals. But always, at certain instants, even in the midst of its most formidable thunder peals, the vicar's voice was suddenly softened, casting a bright ray of sunlight into the heart of the sombre tempest of its eloquence. The little baron, at the first whispers among the leaves, had assumed the eager and charmed attitude of a person with a delicate ear who prepares to enjoy all the subtleties of a beloved symphony. She seemed entranced by the exquisite sweetness of the introductory musical phrases. She afterwards followed with the attention of a connoisseur, the swelling of the voice, the growth of the final tempest so artistically managed, and when the voice had acquired its full development, when it thundered, augmented by the echoes of the nave, the little baron did not restrain a discreet bravo, a wag of the head indicative of satisfaction. From that point it was celestial enjoyment. All the devotees yielded to the spell. Meanwhile, the vicar had said something. His music had accompanied words. He had preached about fasting. He had said how agreeable to God was the mortification of the flesh. Leaning on the edge of the desk, like a huge white bird, he sighed. The hour has come, my brethren and sisters, when all of us must, following Christ's example, bear our crosses, crown ourselves with thorns, and ascend our Calvary dragging our bare feet over the stones and through the brambles. The little baron, without doubt, thought this phrase beautifully rounded, for she gently winked her eyes as it tickled around the heart. Then the vicar's symphony soothed her, and, while continuing to follow the melodious phrases, she allowed herself to sink into a partial reverie, full of peculiar delight. Opposite to her she saw one of the long windows of the choir gallery, gray with mist, the rain must yet be falling. The dear lady had come to hear the sermon amid atrocious weather. One should suffer a little when one is religious. Her coachman had been frightfully drenched, and she herself, in springing to the pavement, had slightly wet the toes of her delicate boots. Her coupé, however, was excellent, tightly closed and cushioned like an alcove. But it was so disheartening to see, through the damp panes of glass, a file of hurried umbrellas rushing along each sidewalk. And she thought that if it had been clear, she could have come in her Victoria. That would have been a great deal gayer. 
in her secret soul she was terribly troubled lest the vicar might bring his discourse too too speedily a conclusion in that case she would be compelled to wait for her carriage for certainly she could never think of wading home through such a storm and she calculated that at the rate he was going the vicar would never in the world have sufficient voice to hold out two hours her coachman then would arrive too late this anxiety somewhat disturbed her devotional joy the vicar with a sudden fit of anger which straightened him up his locks fluttering his fists thrust forward like a man in the grasp of the spirit of vengeance thundered woe be to you especially sister sinners if you do not pour upon the feet of christ the perfume of your remorse the odorous oil of your repentance believe me tremble and fall on your knees upon the stones it is by shutting yourselves up in the purgatory of penance opened by the church during these days of universal contrition it is by wearing away the marble slabs of the temple floor with your foreheads pallid through fasting by descending into the anguish of hunger and cold of silence and darkness that you will merit the divine pardon on the lightning clothed day of triumph the little baronne drawn from her preoccupation by this terrible outburst slowly wagged her head as if she fully shared the opinion of the angry priest one should take a bundle of rods go into a very dark very damp and very icy corner and there castigate one's flesh she had no doubt whatever about that then she fell back into her reverie she lost herself in the depths of profound comfort of delicious ecstasy she was seated at her ease on a low chair with a broad back and beneath her feet was an embroidered cushion which prevented her from feeling the cold of the marble slabs half reclining she enjoyed the church that vast interior through which floated the vapor of incense the depths of which filled with mysterious shadows overflowed with adorable visions the nave with its red velvet hangings its ornaments of gold and marble its air of an immense boudoir full of intoxicating odors illuminated as with the soft light of a night lamp close and seemingly prepared for superhuman love had little by little enveloped her with the charm of its pomp it was the fete of her senses her pretty plump form surrendered at discretion fascinated soothed and caressed she was engulfed in a vast sea of beatitude but that which gave her the most delicious sensations was the warm breadth of the heater register open almost beneath her skirts the little baronne was very chilly the register discreetly breathed its ardent caresses along her silk stockings drowsiness seized upon her in this bath of luxurious softness the vicar was still full of anger he plunged all the devotees present into the boiling oil of the infernal regions if you do not listen to the voice of god he thundered if you do not listen to my voice which is the representative of god's verily i say unto you one day you will hear your bones crack with anguish you will feel your flesh break asunder on the glowing coals and then in vain you will cry pity lord pity i repent god will be without mercy and with his foot will hurl you back into the abyss at this explosion there was a shiver among the congregation the little baronne who had been almost put to sleep by the warm air circulating beneath her skirts smiled vaguely she knew the vicar well the previous day he had dined at her hotel he adored pate de saumon truffe and pomar was his favorite wine 
He was indeed a handsome man, from thirty-five to forty, dark and with a visage so round and so rosy that one would have readily taken it for the merry visage of a female farm-servant. With this he was a man of society, a good eater, a fluent conversationalist. The women adored him, and the little baronne was passionately fond of him. He said to her, in a voice so deliciously sweet, Ah, madame, with such a toilet, you would damn a saint. But he was not damned, the dear man. He hastened away to rattle off to the countess, the marquess, and his other penitents the same gallant phrase which made him the spoiled darling of those ladies. When he went to dine at the little baron's hotel on Thursday, she cared for him as if he were a delicate creature whom the slightest current of air would afflict with the cold, and to whom a tough piece of meat would infallibly give an attack of dyspepsia. In her salon his armchair was beside the fireplace. At table the domestics had standing orders to keep a special watch over his plate, and to pour out for him alone a certain pomard, twelve years old which he drank with his eyes fervently closed, as if he had taken communion. The vicar was so kind, so kind. While, from the elevated pulpit, he spoke of cracking bones and burning limbs, the little baron, half asleep as she was, saw him at her table, devoutly wiping his lips and saying to her, Ah, madame, this soup would make you find favor in heaven if your beauty were not already sufficient to make you certain of paradise. When the vicar had exhausted his anger and his threats, he began to sob. Such was his habitual method of procedure. Almost on his knees in the pulpit, showing only his shoulders, then suddenly rising, bending as if stricken with grief, he wiped his eyes with a loud rustling of starched muslin. He threw his arms into the air, to the right and to the left, assuming the attitudes of a wounded pelican. This was the bouquet, the finale, the morceau for the grand orchestra the varied scene of the denouement. Weep, weep, wailed he, with expiring breath. Weep for yourselves, weep for me, weep for God. The little baronne was now altogether asleep, with her eyes open. The heat, the incense, and the growing shadows had, as it were, stupefied her. She had humped herself together, she had shut herself up in the delightful sensations she was experiencing, and, in secret, was dreaming of very agreeable things. Before her, in the Chapelle de Saint-Agne, was a huge fresco, representing a group of handsome young men, half-clad with wings on their backs. They smiled like chilly lovers, while from their bent, kneeling attitudes they seemed to be adoring some invisible little baron. What fine fellows they were, with their delicate lips, their satin skin, and their muscular arms. The worst of it was that one of them strongly resembled the young Duc de Paix, one of the little Baron's most intimate friends. In her sleep, she asked herself if it could possibly be the Duc, half clad with wings on his back, and at times she imagined that the tall pink cherub had on the Duc's black coat. Then the dream assumed a positive character. It was actually the Duke, very sparingly clothed, who, from the depths of the gloom, was sending her kisses. When the little Baron awoke, she heard the vicar utter the sacramental phrase, And it is the grace that I wish you. She sat for an instant in astonishment. She thought that the vicar was wishing her the young Duke's kisses. There was a loud rattling of chairs. Everybody departed. The little Baron had guessed correctly. 
her coachman was not yet at the foot of the steps that friend of a vicar had hurried up his sermon stealing from his fair penitence at least twenty minutes of eloquence and as the little baronne was walking about impatiently in a side aisle she encountered the vicar who had precipitately quitted the sacristy he looked at his watch he had the hurried air of a man who does not wish to miss an appointment ah how late i am my dear madame said he i am expected at the countess you know there is to be a delightful concert followed by a little collation end of section 32